of my career, it's an adventure. Yeah. I mean, I, I am so um, lucky to be on all these adventures. They take me around the world. They take me into different um, people, take me into different cultures. Um, it's an adventure. It's like somebody pinch me. Welcome to Talk Design, the show where creatives have conversations. I'm Adrian Ramsey and I'm your host. Having lived a life of design myself, I wanted to share with you the creatives that inspire me and in turn may inspire you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy. My guest today on Talk Design is Tom Kindig from Kindig Olsen Kindig Architects. And Tom, it's a great pleasure to have you here. Now, I could give you the long intro, but you know, a lot of people already know you, who you are. If they don't, Google is their friend. Get on the Google machine, look them up. You'll find out plenty. Um, look up the practice, um, Olsen Kundig. It's phenomenal. His work's phenomenal. It um, has such a fit with nature and such a fit with simplicity and um, gizmos is a word I'm going to throw in there, but you'll have to look that up if you don't know to see. Um, Tom, welcome to Talk Design. It's such an honor to talk to you. Well, thank you, Adrian, and it's a real honor to, to talk to you. Love these conversations, frankly. These are the things that kind of keep me always energized um, to think do you know, about. Do you know, I have a similar thing. I'll um, jump out of here and go running upstairs and go, ah, I'm, I'm charged for the week. <laughs> it's, it's always the same, always the same. Um, I'm going to hit you with a few questions. One is going to be, I know your own home you call the Hot Rod House, and I want to sort of segue past that, and I want to segue to Speed Week in Utah, Bonneville Salt Flats, and what's the magic that makes that special to you? What 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 is it that things like that do? Oh, ooh. We could spend the the entire um, podcast just I'm talking about um, what what <laughs> happens. Well, and, and it kind of it's circling back to my youth actually. And we talked a little bit about me, um, you know, the dad that was an architect, and actually I did not want to be an architect. I was actually a lot more intrigued with the artists um, that I was hanging around. I knew I wasn't an artist, but I really uh, appreciated that that culture. Well, of course, artists and architects, there's sort of a Exaggeration, sort of an, an elitism. Synergy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. and 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 there's you know um, there's this highbrow sort of nature of it. And I remember um, the artist that I did a lot of sculpture. Uh, I wasn't a sculptor, and I was not really particularly crafty with the tools, but I was pretty good at working. So Harold had me uh, work on the sculptures, and I just remember saying, I um, I forgot forgot what it was, you know. Um, and I asked him where he got his inspiration or something like that. He goes, God, you know what? Um, some of the best work out there is in a hot rod. And I was a car guy as a little kid. I just loved hot rods. And I go, but I thought hot, hot rods were lowbrow, you know, and yeah. you're a highbrow. He goes, oh, he said, that's such ridiculous talk. He said, they're artists because they're artists just like any artist. What they do is they a hot rodder goes and finds a, a thing or yeah. imagines a thing and then they repurpose it in their own sort of way of thinking, especially the ones that do their own work. 
you know, that, rather than contracted. The renovators. Absolutely. And they're doing it. And what they're doing is, is they're taking the ordinary and they're making it extraordinary. And he said, that's what an artist is all about. And I thought, well, okay. So um, it kind of gave me permission to appreciate hot rods, um, you know, and uh, verbally <laughs> yeah. rather than just thinking and, and not saying anything because, you know, you weren't supposed to talk about that sort of um, lowbrow art. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, of course, that's super unfortunate because uh, that we could carry on quite a while and talk about, you know, uh, the difference between the two. And I don't even know what the real difference is. I know what I like, whether it's, you know, fine art, um, whatever, um, uh, you there's might a, be. There's a rawness and innovation that seems to happen oh, in hot rodding. On, on all and all levels. And if yeah. you go to Speed Week, well, first of all, you're you're seeing that rawness and that innovation just emerge because these are people that are taking ordinary things and making them go very, very fast. And there's a lot of danger involved and there's a lot of uh, innovation involved. Um, and immediately the other thing that's really important, I think I think the reason I really appreciated being around artists was they were they were the people that actually meant something to a culture because even I didn't couldn't articulate it as a kid. They were the mm -hmm. misfits. Mm -hmm. They were the outliers. Mm -hmm. They were the ones that were sort of poking culture um, and uncomfortably. They were taking real uh, personal risks. Big risks. Big risks. Yeah. Street racing and just everything and, and home welded machines and nobody oh, stress tested. Yeah, nobody stress yeah. tests it until you're doing 100 mile an hour. Uh, yeah, well, okay, so um, a lot of art is not life and death, but um, but artists artists do the same thing. They do. You know, they they poke they poke culture, and and they really are, I think, critical to um, the evolution of a culture. So I just saw it as a totally fascinating um, place, and so I still, um, to this day, it, when I can go, I love going to Speed Week. I love. Um, sort of seeing the that that character that that sort of uh, high risk taking character making things and doing things and um, how they think about the world. Um, and beyond um, they're beyond uh, common sense. They're in passion, you know that and they they the common sense would tell you, you know, like why would you spend two hundred grand on a on a bucket of bolts? when you could go and buy a really good car for that money and probably go as fast. But it's not about that. It, it, when I liken it to architecture, it's, it's the same thing. If you don't love it like stupidly, then oh, don't it, go there. Is, yeah, don't go there. You'll be frustrated. Did you, um, I don't know if you saw it, Adrian, but my lead in, one of my lead in lines on the first book I did, the, where the hot rod house is actually one of the chapters um I'm not sure. it, it was a it was a quote and we don't even know who came up with it but we love it uh and we would use it in mountain climbing um situations when things were really not going well and you were almost kind of like ramping up to um a sort of an uncomfortable thing and so we'd always sort of bring ourselves back to almost a um a humorous place but we would say to each other this quote and we don't remember where we got it but the quote is only common things happen when common sense prevails. Oh, isn't that great? Which <laughs> it's so I, true. It, well, it's, and I have it. Yeah, I have it on my bulletin board here, and, I, and I'll always, you know, when I get really in a, you know, in a awkward situation, I'll I'll just think about that quote. <laughs> I love it.
I love it. Only common things happen. I'm writing it down. When common yeah, I wish sense I, prevails. Yeah, I wish I knew who who uh, came uh, well, up with it. If, if we find out, <laughs> we'll share it. Oh, that's um, it's but it's yeah, it just brings it back to what what makes sense. It's like yeah, well, and we were talking earlier about people that really had impacts on different industries. We were talking a little bit about Steve Jobs. Yeah. And, People that um, really, I mean, Steve came from a calligraphy background or, and, and you know. Yeah, fine arts, and, kind of, well, an arts kind of background. Arts, and, arts yeah. background. And, and, and um, sometimes people will ask me, well, well uh, you know, how did it work? Well, how did you get to what you're doing? Why are you doing gizmos? Why are you doing, why are you experimenting? And um, it, I don't know. Uh, but <laughs> there is a, a, maybe there's an impulse that we all share as creatives that, to go out and go to the, you know, outside the the usual uh, yeah. to explore, yeah. in a sense, uh, to to find the end of the road or um, find a different direction and uh, a different way of thinking about things. And then, and if you do that, and like Steve, if if you all of a sudden discover uh, something and yeah. you're out there in the blue ocean, you're all by yourself. Everybody is way back here, and they're they're thinking. What's that person doing way out there? And by the time everybody swims out to you, you're already in another place. And yeah, and and the growth that you get to get that far out in front of yourself. Oh my goodness! Is yeah, yeah. that's that's the key as well because you know I, I, was, I was talking to somebody the other day and I said, well, who do you have to be to be that to to get that to do, go where you've got to be? How, where's the growth that you're going to take? Um, I re I just recently read. I'm reading a book. <laughs> called Into Thin Hair, which is uh, a book by um, a mentor mountain climber when I was growing up in Spokane. And he mentioned um, a quote, um, and I'm going to misquote this, but it was the idea that I thought was really yeah. great. I think it was uh, um, Lionel Trey said, uh, you will only go as far as your will. I thought that was kind of interesting, you know, That's that true. those people that have the will to do the first ascent of um, these peaks and take yeah. high risks. And honestly, I understood it immediately when I read it because I, I knew that my career in the mountains was, was I would say, short, shorter, because my will only took me so far bef yeah. before I, I knew Oh man. And yet there were others that could go to those higher. Um, that, that can keep pushing. Levels. I was really, Absolutely. you know, like that, that I worked with um, Sir Edmund Hillary quite a bit. Oh my goodness. And, um, you go. In the fashion trade. And so he lived not far from me and he was older when, when I was working with him, obviously. And I would quite often, you know, pop around his house and present some stuff to him and talk to him about things. And of course, look, this sounds wrong, but I couldn't care less about the fashion stuff we were doing or the, the clothing we were doing. I could, but that was easy. What I wanted was the stories yeah. and I wanted to engage, be with the person. And uh, at every corporate dinner that we would, he'd be invited to, I'd always be sat next to him as well um, because we had such an easy rapport. And he was, a, a, I think, one of the most determined human beings yeah. and deliberate human beings Yep. And he was telling me when he was doing um, the Ferguson tractor thing down to the Antarctic, he said, it wasn't my gig. It wasn't, you know, I wasn't in charge. 
he said it was whoever was in charge of it and um he said but we split and we did this thing and he said i could clearly hear on the radio being told to stop but i couldn't clearly hear it in my it's, head enough to stop yeah. <laughs> and he said it's, that's why we got there first <laughs> it's so true on on all levels it's absolutely true and you know yeah. as an architect and as a designer you know that we get to meet all these people that are just extraordinary they have that extraordinary will to, um, and I think a lot of us also have a, a certain percentage of that that will. But sometimes we really run into these characters where you just recognize, oh my goodness, you know. It, it's um, a, it, it fascinates me because when you say that thing with that, you know, like it's as far as your will will take you. Um, that's for me. It's been a journey of my life. I've, yeah. I, I'm dyslexic. I left school when I was like 18 or 17 or 18. I think when they kicked me out. I went and worked and um, pretty much I went and worked. I wanted to be an architect then. And um, of course I couldn't get into university. I had no show. I, I think I got, uh, I think I got 51% for math or something like that. There was no way I was going to go to university. Um, art, I got like 98% or something. Exactly. Yeah, that was the easy yeah. part. And then um, I went and I, I, I ended up deciding various things, but, ended up in the clothing industry and went, ended up running globally the division of the, of a big New Zealand company and setting up, you know, design headquarters in Europe and all these kinds of things. And then I, I was sick of being on a plane my whole life. And I went, well, you know what? Yeah. And I, I've always been flipping houses and doing stuff like that. And I went, I reckon I'm going to make this, uh, this design thing work in the housing market. That's going to sure. be my new gig. So I reinvented myself into that. And the, the podcast came out of me going, I want to talk to people who really inspire me that uh, would normally be not possible to talk to. People like yourself that I go, been inspired by your work for many years. And there's some magic there that I just keep coming. Obviously, lots of people do, but keep coming back to. And uh, when I was talking to Michael Pincus, I said to Michael, he said about how you'd done his offices. And I was like, yeah. no way. Can you hook me up? And he's like, I can try for sure. Yeah, man. well, of course. And of yeah. course, he is a design. Yeah. He, he, he's caught in, his, in, in the fact that he's not designing like you are every day. He would That would be his joy, would be just to be sitting with a pen and a pencil. And yeah. But he was a, but talk about a fantastic client because, oh, awesome. you know, here I get a phone call from this guy. Well, you know, and, you know, the whole steam thing. And, yeah. um, and uh, of course, I, you know, I went to Long Island City and, um, God, I could just tell this is going to be a fantastic person to work with because yeah. that's, he's that, that kind of relentless because, yeah. you know, uh, I don't think most of the company was totally on board with maybe some of his um, thinking and frankly those are those are the clients you just want to work for that have that sort of will to go beyond the ordinary and and uh, get into the extraordinary and uh, yeah. you know we we'll, we'll say here around the office um, that uh, we're really not interested in the projects in many ways as we are in the clients because they're the ones that really um, lead uh to the next level we just we worked with nike on a project uh -huh. and you know there's a huge company and 
you just immediately realized what an extraordinary company that company is and how and the people that founded it and led it yeah, like so and, not and just it was just knowing that that culture and, and engaging that culture that extraordinary culture and you know again we've been so lucky with so many of our projects to uh, engage a terrific client and honestly i will say adrian it's virtually impossible at least for me virtually impossible to do a good building without a terrific client i mean i need yeah. that the tension and the conversation yeah. and the yeah. agreement and the disagreement yeah. and the, yeah. the joy of the journey the joy That's of the exactly journey right. you know? well somebody once said that and i thought it was terrific that uh, I, I i think it might have been donlin linden said that the the building is only the physical manifestation of a bunch of people's activity. And it's just the remnant, you know, it's like, yeah. It's what's left know, over from this, from all this effort. From all this thing. And it's just like, this is the, this is the remnant. This is the uh, God, part I love of that. that as well. That's so, it, it is so just down the line. I, um, I interviewed a guy called Jeffrey Dungan who does some beautiful um, traditional sort of work in Alabama. And uh, I said to him something about, oh, you must get some nice projects, you know, or, or something like that. And he says something like, um, you know, I'm not so interested in the projects, in, in the projects. It's about people. When yeah. I find great, I, I might have been great projects, I'd said, and he said, eh, yeah, not so interested in great projects. What, you, what I'm interested in is finding great people because yeah. with great people come great projects. Yeah. Absolutely and, true. And you'd go, it it I literally took the old head off and put the new head on the day he said it and yeah. just went, I've just I, it was the biggest mind shift because yeah. I've always in my business, I've always gone, oh great project, this would be a great project. Yeah. Screw yeah. the project. And then I yeah, then you get down to doing things like, you know, small budget like the cabin type things and yeah. it's not just about big it's about mm -hmm. it's about that journey and the tension of that journey and then you get to create as a mastermind of people you get to create a, a, a piece of magic well I, I completely agree completely and michael again pincus is a is a perfect <sighs> example of yeah of um you know, uh, of that kind of personality. You just feel honored to be uh, engaged um, with is, somebody with that kind of uh, will and that, that kind of vision. He's so um, cool. Such a cool guy. We just, we actually just dropped his podcast uh, yesterday, I think it was, or the day before. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh, we just, we just put it out. And um, yeah, it just such a, he's got such a love of design and a love of mm -hmm. how great design works for people. Um, I'm gonna, we've, we've got some more questions <laughs> with hot rodding go go back to the hot rodding and you call your own home the hot rod house so many architects um, need a platform to play and so their own homes become the platform to play and yeah. it, it's like hot rodding but you're doing it with a structure it doesn't necessarily have wheels but it has it doesn't it's not mobile but it does everything else yeah um, I'd actually in the distant past bought a beautiful little bungalow, California bungalow. It looked like a Berkeley bungalow in Seattle and I was restoring it, you know, um, and I realized that I was missing something. I was written, I was uh, restoring something that was already beautiful. And I, I said to my wife, I said, you know, I think it'd be interesting 
to work with something really ugly, you know, really a mess. Uh, not just, you know, because if it's already beautiful, absolutely restore it, but work with something that maybe somebody would throw away. Now, I've, I've now recently written some few articles and had some interviews about ugly buildings and how yes. interesting an ugly building is to, to repurpose. And that's, um, we, you know, she found this house. It was really bad news. So, and, so she was on board with you. Yeah. What a fabulous and, wife. And, and it was. Because yeah, otherwise was, she'd be living in the little bungalow in Berkeley and you'd be living in the hot rod house. Well, <laughs> yeah, on all levels. And, and so I didn't start out calling it a hot rod house, but I realized that what I was doing was trying to s- turn something that was less than ordinary into something extraordinary. And, and um, to your point, it was like a hot rod where you you basically are building something out of hopefully extraordinary out of the ordinary and you're always working on it. Now, that I haven't really done much on it in the last 10 years, uh, largely because my hot rods <laughs> have basically turned into into a, a lot of projects. Yeah. And, just um, kind of consumed by that. So I'm kind of lucky, again, I'm in an industry where um, I can take that, that impulse, the hot rod thing, for my clients. Well, you're, you're, you're now um, are more likely not necessarily to find a client at Speed Week, but you're going to find one that's going to have the same joy yeah. of, but partly because of you know, being published and all the rest and, and well known for what you do, but you're, you're attracting people who want what you give. And they want, um, want to adventure. And, and incidentally, the, incidentally, Adrian, there's a really good chance I'm not going to find a client at Speed Week. <laughs> no, no. That, that's not, let's just be clear, that's not a marketing strategy. No, but, exactly. but, you're abso- but you're absolutely right. It's just exactly what Harold said about lowbrow art or highbrow art. He, I don't care. I'm just, you know, I'm just looking for something that is extraordinary and um, they're doing extraordinary stuff. And it's the same, it's just a different, it's just like a different language or something, you know? It's yeah. the same spirit though. Yeah, it's, it's a, yeah, it's the same spirit. That's the key. It's yep. that that person carries the same spirit, the same energy, yep. and they are looking for the adventure. It's just in which way they can take it, and where their uh, financial ability allows them to do it. And you look at a, yep, Steve Jobs, or look at even Elon Musk. They're mavericks. Mm-hmm. That there that, you go. Yep. That they're on an adventure. They're on their own boy's own. Totally. And Yep, they're just looking for people to come on the ride with them. Yep, yeah. and, and you used a word I think that's really important, and I'll use that word about uh, uh, careers, my career. It's an adventure. Yeah. I mean, I, I am so um, lucky to be on all these adventures. They take me around the world. They take me into different um, people, take me into different cultures. Um, it's an mm-hmm. adventure. It's like somebody pinch me. Yeah, cool, huh? because oh. <laughs> otherwise you could have just been doing bus stops somewhere oh yeah you know like like you you, you look at the um thing and we were talking earlier about you know architecture being a discipline and and when we were talking you were saying about you know it, if you don't love it don't do it and i remember an interview with matt damon that i was watching and people say to him you know i want to be an actor and he goes don't do it like you're mad, just don't do it. Don't even consider it. Run away. Yeah, Yeah. run away. (laughs) And, and the reason is, is because unless you 
cannot yeah. hear me say that and you're determined if that's enough to stop you then you were it's the best advice you've ever got if it's it, enough to stop you thank god i saved you 20 years of misery um yeah. because otherwise if your passion won't get you there um but that thing of how um because of the 3d digital world and gaming and you know just the the difference in how we function how that an architect these days could be somebody that doesn't necessarily ever build a build or design a building as such that's to be lived in or still be fit for purpose because it might be in a video game or it might be absolutely some other form so tell me a bit about that how that's changed and what you see because you've you know got a few hundred people out there be, behind that wall there's a few hundred people working away yeah, um, well, hopefully. Um, <laughs> yeah, are they still there? I, I don't know what the percentage is anymore, but even when I was a kid, um, uh, just graduating from uh, college, um, the the uh, percentage of graduate architectural graduates that actually were architects for their entire life was remarkably low. Oh, I mean, God. it was like a less than a quarter, and it just indicated that you came through this. Um, this education of becoming an architect and for whatever reason you had a, a sort of a basis to go in all sorts of directions it's like being an attorney or something yeah right you um, could end up in corporate finance or corporate this or whatever yeah it's not necessarily going to be a, a lawyer doing house it, settlements or that's exactly right you could go into construction you could go yeah. into construction law you can go into graphics you can go in, in fact a lot of the uh, shoe designers um, well, that's that's an overstatement. A lot of the designers at Nike have an architecture background, uh -huh. and um, yeah, I mean it just sort of makes sense. And so I knew that, you know, maybe 30, 40 years ago. But now, more recently, um, what I've been hearing, and this should be backed up by an academic um, that really so knows the real we'll get number. Some listener who knows it, and they can tell us. That'd be it'd be <laughs> terrific. But what I'm hearing is a lot of a lot of kids now are being hired into uh, Pixar or uh, gaming, you know, uh, uh, augmented reality, reality. Um, yeah. virtual reality, uh, because you're sort of trained. You're, you're trained technically and you're trained visually and um, poetically. I mean, you're an artist, yeah. or, you know, art, applied you, art. Applied artist. So a lot of these um, technology founders that I've worked for, they'll, they'll say the same thing that Steve Jobs would always say, um, I want to work with architects. You know, yeah. I want to work with the people that can that can think at this functional and poetic level, like Steve. I mean, yeah. with his background and where he went and what he did. It, it certainly opens the scope um, for, I've heard architecture described before as the lowest paid profession. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of people everything needs designing like industrial design is one of the most amazing things in the world because everything needs designing and it lives and dies on how well it's designed. Um, and, and we as people function in it on how well it's all in it or yeah. with it on how well it's designed, yeah. how seamless it is. Um, and it probably opens a scope of a whole new marketplace that never existed before um, totally. where they're never trying to actually make a building that's going to sit on the side of a hill they can control all the 
all the incoming, you know, the, the weather is controlled. It's inside my computer. The, everything yep. can be controlled. And then you can create yep. these virtual worlds. Yeah, it's, I think it's fascinating. And I noticed the number of kids. I've got my eldest is 18. The number of kids who um, will say, I can build that in Minecraft. So they'll show, they'll say to me, "Come and have a look at this house I'm 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 doing in Minecraft, or this yeah. building I'm doing in Minecraft." And I'm like, "Yeah," and and they'll show me what they're building, and they're using all the same thought patterns of yep. construction and not so much um straight um you know like structurally, but putting things in new places and seeing what works and how the flow works and all those kinds of things. It's exactly right. That's exactly right. Well, in fact, I'll sometimes say, and this is probably an overstatement, but but I do think it's kind of interesting. I have some friends that are composers, and, it, and about 10 years ago, of course, you know, I'll, even though I played an, a, a musical instrument and I could read sheet music, I really was never a musician, mm -hmm. and never certainly never a composer. And it was interesting always talking to them. They could look at a sheet of music and they heard the music, you know. Yeah. They could just imagine the music. I was more linear, going, yeah, okay, yeah, um, whatever. Totally. And this one's yeah, this key, this, this one's this yeah, key. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but they could look at it and hear the music, and I realized that kind of it's what an architect does to you to to what you're describing because it's it's interesting. I work in floor plans because I'm more um, old school, come from that that so tradition. So when you say you work in floor plans, what do you mean? You start I, with your floor I, plan. Oh yeah, I think floor plans, but I'm thinking three dimensionally as I'm doing yes. the floor plan. As yeah. you get more skilled, that's what you're doing. You're thinking uh, plan section elevation. You're thinking yes. of it. Yes. Um, in, and so every move you make, a horizontal move, you're thinking of what's Vertically. happening. Vertically, yeah. Well, all of a sudden I realized that basically our drawings are in a sense sheet music for a musician, just like a composer does sheet music for a musician that's performed our drawings are performed by the, again, exaggeration, but it's still performed by somebody else to assemble into, uh, but we've already heard it, if that makes sense. Oh, and I a hundred percent. Because if, if I'm, because I can actually, I've said this before that it's not exactly music, but it feels like music, good music, when I am uh, looking at a floor plan that, works in all aspects it's a, it's like a sensation you just know it's right and it's like reading um, sheet music when when you think of that and you think of say a band you know most bands probably if they're lucky have you know a few hit songs and um most architects and probably lucky if they have a few hit buildings you know um, yep. And that's that's when a whole lot of factors fall into line. Doesn't mean all the rest of their work isn't great as well. It's just not got all the harmonious factors. But when you know when you say you work in floor plan, I've never heard anybody say that before. I, I do the same. I, I start with a floor plan because I can see it standing up. I don't need. Mm -hmm. I, I I can see what's happening, as opposed to um, I know, I've got friends who are architects who draw the massing of it first. Yeah. I look at that and I go, where's the kitchen? Yeah. And how's the flow work? Yeah. You know, how's, so yeah. the light's coming from here and where's, where's, where's the bedroom? Do they like yeah. the morning sun or do they like the afternoon sun? Like I'm going, hold on a second. I can't, I can, yeah. I can't, I can't conceptualize it um, as 
I'm, I'm just trying to look at the mass going, where the hell is everything? Right. As right. opposed to starting with a floor plan and then going, okay, that will all work with the environment and the house, with, with the, the people and the, the, everything else that's going to come into it because I'm always seeing it standing up regardless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, that's exactly I'm, right. And so as you're, and it doesn't mean that the floor plan is, is actually the poetry. It's just your tool to understand um, um, how the skeleton yeah. works because you're basically yeah. building almost literally kind of coming out of the dirt with this idea and you're shaping it as it's coming out of the, mm-hmm. so sometimes when you start with the big shape, yeah, you don't know what's like form, fu- form follows function, right? Yeah. So you have to understand the function in a way, or at least understand the, how the component pieces are fitting together. Um, unless, gosh, you're working at another dimension that I, I don't understand. I'm much more simple where I have to build in a sense, um, from the ground up or from the, or from the sky down, but it's, but it's not as a fully conceived blob that I understand completely a shaped blob. Yeah. I I think of, um, he did the Oculus in um, New York. Oh, Calatrava. Yeah. Calatrava. That's it. Sorry. He would be the other side of that. I think, I think he probably goes, I'm going to create this shape and then everything from this shape is going to, I'll make everything fit into the shape, the mass and the and the beauty of the shape. Um, yeah, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear his. I bet he wouldn't um, totally say he starts with a nice shape, but I might say I, I want a, it to function because he's a pretty um, amazing engineer oh, and how he can yeah. kind of bring these things that, together. Yeah, it's probably imagining you know I'm, I'm dealing with these forces or this situation, and in that case maybe because you've, you've, you're dealing with fewer context issues. Um, yeah. You, you, you can kind of imagine it as a structure, like a bridge structure or, um, yeah. you know, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a, yeah. A piece of sculpture. Yeah. It's a different way. Of, it's definitely a different way of thinking. Cause at the end of the day, you know, architecture is a, is a, is a place or building architecture is a place for people. Um, you know, we have a certain size, we have a certain sort of, you know, um, Mass as a human being and yes, and capacity. Yeah. Yep. And how we move and yep. what we, you know, how, we, how, where our eyeballs are, you know? Yep. So we have a kind of a sense of, of us as a species and you're trying to make these places uh, yeah. that are comfortable and functional um, and work on a whole thousands of different levels from a macro planning wayfinding level to just what does it feel like to touch and move this thing on a very personal um, level. Yeah, I, yeah, totally. And, and as you say, on a very, very personal level, it's, um, it's, mm-hmm. it is in a way it's no different from industrial design, except mm-hmm. that you're in it as opposed to necessarily outside of it and observing it, you know, like, or, or using it in, in your hand, it, it's, you embody it. And that gives the person the greatest sense of joy or ease or, um, excitement along the way. Um, one yeah. of with that excitement piece, I'm going to segue to gizmos, and I get the hot rodding, and I get in your background, you know, sort of in that whole growing up in the um, where there was all the production of stuff, and it it, mm-hmm. it was raw production. It's like it mm-hmm. wasn't made to be beautiful; it was made to be functional. And oh, it was pretty pretty destructive, actually. You know? Yeah, horribly so. so. <laughs> yeah, the the lumber industry, and, and of course the mining industry mm-hmm. of. of um, 
southern British Columbia and northern Idaho. Yeah. Um, pretty yeah, rough. Pretty, pretty rough, rough on the environment and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. But that's that has a a real depth in your love of gizmos and well, I call them gizmos, but the, the fabulous parts in the buildings where you, the steel's raw and it's still elegant, but it functions. It does something. It opens something. It generally opens something, but it's, um, and it's mechanical and it's, it, it's what it, obviously now you attract clients who, who want that as well. Um, because Sometimes, it's, it's, yeah. it's part of the signature. Um, how much of it gets driven from what part? Like you, you see something and you go, can I just make that all slide away? Or can I just make that tilt up? Or can I just fold that up? Or in, in a, you know, You're touching on a really good point, Adrian, because the, at the end of the day, what you don't want um, the gizmo thing is to just be this uh, uh, sort of trite um, thing. Yeah. You just going to do just to do because really at the end of the day they're just ways of solving um sort of large issues that we've uh, our ancestors have been um, solving for years and that's how do you make well big things into little things so we can actually carry them because at the end of the day we're actually kind of weak <laughs> as a as a uh, a being yeah so but we are kind of um um uh, what's the word I'm looking at? Crafty or or um, intuitive or uh, uh, yeah. ingenious, ingenious. Yeah, we, we exactly. work out ways. You know, levers and pulleys exactly. and carrying and things on skateboards and yeah. yeah, just clever, clever stuff. And you know, we take the hydraulics of water. We take the um, nature of gravity, and we take the the lever and the wedge and the you know and the the you know, and and we're we're kind of clever about um, using these things. And and actually, what they are, if you really think about these devices that are not motorized uh, by motors or mm -hmm. engines, but that they are just literally using gravity and uh, physics, counterbalance and phys yeah, yep. physics and gravity. Yeah, it's an extension of your body. And I've always been totally fascinated with that is, is, you know, how do you make a machine that's basically taking your weak little arm or, or leg yeah. and, and extending it to just move these big things. And I think that's, I, that's just something I'm fascinated with. And a lot of the clients, um, it kind of, they love it also because it, it kind of takes your breath away a little bit when you, and you saw the little video of uh, the little girl, Savannah, I think she was seven years old and she's basically lifting six and a half tons of glass and steel yeah. um, when she's rolling up. Um, uh, and, and that's, that's not rocket science, you know, but, it, but it is science. And, and thank goodness we're working with a, a brilliant man, Phil Turner, who um, I think he just, he's in his mid eighties now and he's still working and still Love excited it. about everything he's, uh, uh, is, you know, thinking about working with us. He has the same passion for it. Oh yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. You know, he just gets, he's like a little kid. He just gets excited about it. He gets a little frustrated, frustrated with the youngsters like myself, you know, but, <laughs> but he's, yeah, but he's, but he's, um, but he really is fantastic. And he has this way of thinking about these issues that, you know, maybe, you know, I come to him and I say, hey, I want to do this because I think we can do this just based on my background. Well, he actually did. Somebody has to take it at that l really nuanced, smart yeah. level uh, to make it a make it a fully functioning, simple machine. 
and he's he's really brilliant. And again, it's just stunning that you know you just wiggle this little uh, wheel yeah, and wind this little handle and yeah, yeah, and, and this and thing lifts up. The thing with it is, is that um, keeping it simple is harder than making it complex. Oh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and and that, and that's why I I saw his brilliance early on because I kind of come from the same place. How do you? you know, there's not my term, but a lot of people, there's a term out there, what would a farmer do, you know, given, and, and what, and that's a really good way of solving a problem. Oh, okay. We've got a problem here. Well, you're, you're farming, you're, you're not you're interested. In, you, you got a farm. So what, how do you, how do you solve this problem simply and mm. hopefully elegantly? And um, I think that's the way Phil works. And I saw it immediately. There's an absolute joy, um, I think, at any level for anybody. Some people might not like the rawness of structure like that, but there's an absolute joy of what seemingly is doing the impossible with the possible. I um, completely agree. It, it's like the cantilever, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's <laughs> how do you make this big chunk of this stay in midair, you know, like or, or appear to at least? And yeah. there's a there's a yeah. joy in that journey, um, and people even say sub subconsciously it tells them a story i was doing a talk recently i had a, a photograph from a an architect in um in australia in melbourne and uh it was a a thin slab that's elevated just slightly off the ground and then the building is just a box it's just a big square concrete box and it's got one arch that opens the whole thing and I was likening it to, um, this was about the aesthetics of joy, about how it's cave-like, how it's got the security and the safety of the weight yep. and all the rest. But the magic was was the landscape that came up to it where it was kind of just all random path and broken and um, grass growing in and out of and unlandscaped un but beautifully curated. But the fact that the building, there's all this weight, felt like it wasn't touching the ground yeah. really. It's fantastic. And and then you go, that's a piece of genius. You know, really you drew a flat line, a curved line, and a square box. But yep. execution wise, just beyond, you know, and, and you love and that. It, and it, and probably everybody that sees that is somehow thrilled. And mm -hmm. why are they thrilled? And 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 I don't know if I know totally the answer, but recently I was interviewed for um uh an article on the Stahl House, which is uh, case house twenty-two by Pierre Koenig. But it's a fantastic, it's a, probably the most, one of the most famous photographs of architecture. And, and I was asked, oh, why do you think this is um, um, so beloved? Um, and um, I used to think, because I was a mountain climber, I, I would say, oh, it's because it's about risk, you know? It's about thrilling risk. Um, and uh, now I, I don't think that's true. I think it's, a, there's like, it's about optimism. You know, okay. it's like I can go again from the ex the ordinary to the extraordinary, and and that's a lot. A risk is all about optimism because you're trying, you're you're trying, you're not risking it to, oh, yeah. for failure. You're, yeah. There yeah. you go. Yeah. The, the the photographer, come on, because of the nests, it's just driving me nuts. Um. Um. And um, <laughs> I just got Slim Adams. Nope. No, uh, uh, I should it, be able but, to find it here. <laughs> anyway, but, um, it'll come to us. Yeah, it'll come to me in a second. I just can't believe I'm, I'm blanking on it right now. But um, 
the um, uh, but it, it, it's it's this it's, it, I, I just think it's that thin edge uh, where all of a sudden where thrill happens and I think thrill is about optimism because you're you're looking for success not not for failure yeah thrill is about optimism it, 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 totally. it, 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 being optimistic and gives you hope and then the hope having that hope actually drives you into the gratitude and going forward and then when we get thrilled by something we it's usually when we've sort of got hold of hold of our own thoughts around it or our own piece of that um i think if you know you do something that's thrilling uh and you it can, it's always, it's just about always a growth situation of some sort for you. You know, you, you kind of I, lift up from it. I totally agree. Totally agree. It's uh, Julius Shulman. Ah, right. Julius God. Shulman. I'm, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I had an opportunity to meet, meet um, Shulman uh, in LA uh, probably about seven or eight years ago before just like a year before he passed away and i just still kick myself for not doing that i it didn't happen um and because uh, you must get to you must get to because of your own notoriety you must get to meet some um amazing people that you know cross your path um, oh unbelievably lucky yeah it, exactly it's 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 a joy for part of, part of your life, you know, where you get to suddenly meet people that. Well, again, it's back to the client. It's about the client. Yeah. It's it's not about the it's not about the uh, um, project. So I've got a I've got a last question, which is going to be: If tomorrow they said to you, Tom, this is it, man. You've got one last project. You can't ever design another thing. You can't do anything else the project doesn't even have to be architecture it could be anything that you choose but this is it this is it this is the final thing after that you're hanging your hat and uh what would you do okay i'm not going to answer your question it's like the unfinished symphony i would say no project so there's no end <laughs> it's perfect <laughs> so i'm not going to do anything exactly <laughs> okay Fun. <laughs> no, it's it's been, uh, and I'm and I'm almost sort of serious about that. You know, I just yeah. you don't want it to end, and uh, you want to you want to leave on almost uh, unfinished kind of um, unfinished it, business. Unfinished yeah. business, because I think if you honestly, the creatives that I'm around in the office, it's always about the next job, the next job, the yeah. next, it's, and it's because everything you're, you're doing is, is in a, in a way unfinished. It, yeah. It's exciting as well. I, mm -hmm. I think with that, um, where, where it's that unfinished business, it's like when people say, well, when he, when would you retire? And I go, yeah. why would you retire? Why would you, why would you, this is so thrilling. Exactly. Well, I, exactly. I, I can't imagine. I can imagine doing other things as well and taking more time to do other things. But why would you retire? Like, no, not when you're doing what we get. We're privileged yeah. to do. I mean, there's so many adventures, and yeah, um, that's why. Again, if if kids will ask me, I want to, you know, I want to be an architect, just just like you. I'll go. You know, that's great. Um, you're going to be on an adventure. You just cannot believe. I can't imagine. 
uh, a better um, profession than to be a designer, yeah. an architect, uh, industrial designer, whatever, because if you love this, man, you will be leading a life you just can't believe, an adventure. Yeah. Um, you just can't believe. I think that key, that's a, such a key word that is that adventure because because it's all about the, um, mm-hmm. it will say the client, but the people. Mm-hmm. You get to step into a part of their v- adventure. Yeah. And while that's really humbling, uh, because it's not your adventure, but your adventure gets to go on their adventure with them. Totally agree. <laughs> it's just uh, like I, I know when when we'll you know take on new clients and stuff. I go, I'm I'm waiting at the door, you know, with my tail wagging for my walk to see where it's where the adventure's really going to go. I think exactly. I know where it's going to go, but the actual piece of it is going. It's like oh, 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 here we go, here we go, and then what will we discover? What will we unwrap? Who knows? Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. the that's the joy of this journey. It's um, yeah, totally. It's a risk, also. <laughs> I do. I've got one other, one last question. Best ski fields that you love in America? Best ski field? Yeah. Where do you, where would you love to where do you love to ski and where would it be? Well, that's so super dangerous because I work in all the resorts and. Uh, <laughs> I'll get a, I'll get a phone call oh, yeah, in we a can't nanosecond. Say that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Somebody will I go. Mean, what I, do you mean you didn't say ours? <laughs> oh, they're like you know, they're of like yeah. my children. I love yeah. them all. You know, you gotta be. Of, gotta yeah, be that, it, because they uh, well, and, it, and they're. I mean, clearly there are some terrific um, uh, slopes. Um, yeah. On the west yeah. coast, I honestly haven't skied in the last probably eight years. Uh, I just too busy. Wow. I, I made a, a little pact. Uh, I've got um, two kids and I made a little pact that uh, I was going to ski every year from now until I no longer can. Because I took like probably 15 years off skiing. And yeah. I, I've lived in Steamboat Springs and I've you know lived in um, Ruapehu, Mount Ruapehu in New Zealand and skied all round and skied all over the world and um you know up at robert redford sundance and yeah jackson sure. hole and just the taos new mexico and it's those are just some a, good ones oh they're beautiful spots they're <laughs> yeah. beautiful spots they're incredible I, I was in um, los angeles last march february march um i i came to over to america to i've got friends from texas and they invited me to the um Society of Texas Architects um, uh, conference or whatever. So I went, yeah, I'm going, I'm, I'm going to go. And uh, I had sort of three days where I was kind of just a free agent in Los Angeles and I was hanging out with some friends and I spent two of them skiing. And there's oh. a there's a little ski field in Los Angeles called Mount Baldy. I don't know if sure. you've ever skied it. Yeah. No, uh-uh, never have. So it's, a, it's a little clubby type field and... Um, but it's close. And uh, I, for my first skiing in probably 15 years, I strapped on skis at the top of Mount Baldy and went, yeah, here we go. <laughs> it wasn't my first. I'd actually done one other day um, in New Zealand at uh, Papa with my daughter, who is 10. 
I'd done one day with her, but that was my first one after 15 years. And God. I'd had a need replacement in that 15 years uh, as well. Yeah. So it was like, and then, yeah, the next one was Mount Baldy and a little icy and a little fast, but getting to the mountains to me is like being able to breathe. It's like I yeah. surf and stuff as well, but the mountains is where I breathe. So, and I see oh, that wow. in what you do. The mountains is where you breathe. It's well, that's where I grew up. And that's, you know, that's, yeah, I'm alive when I'm, when I'm, when I'm at altitude. I yeah. can't, I don't know why, but um, I just feel like it's a, yeah, that's magic up there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tom. Thank you. We will have another conversation, I'm sure. I'm oh, I hope. To, yeah, for sure, man. I'm looking forward to getting to Seattle when we get uh, unlocked as well, uh, which, which yeah. will be yeah, in the next couple of years. Um, yeah. But I'll be in touch without a doubt. Good. It's absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much. We'll post all your socials and all that kind of stuff. And um, I'm hoping to interview Jim and because oh. uh, I love his work as well. Terrific. And Terrific. Uh, also, if I can, I'm going to try and interview Phil, your gizmologist. Oh, as well. God, that'd be great. I would love that. And maybe, maybe even with you and two, the two of you and part of the conversation would be fun. He can tell me what a naughty child you'd be asking for this stuff and he has to fix your mess or something. Oh, he'll definitely, he'll <laughs> definitely get into that. Oh, there's no question. I think it'd be really fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I'm really looking forward to that, Adrian. <laughs> cool, man. Thank you sure. so much for making time. Take, Take care. care. Thank Take you. Care. Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, if it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking say three questions and this is called takeaway selling so this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you it's almost like imagine if you had some hot ch chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them you put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you it's that type of thing so this is called takeaway selling so the first question you ask you say well why don't you just leave the situation as it is why why make the change that's an unusual thing for a designer to say, well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, well, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you, see if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now, while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.